0: Grab your Bibles now and see if you can find the book of Deuteronomy. It's in the Old Testament, uh, fifth book in the Bible, part of the Torah. Uh, if you're new to Grace of let me explain what we're doing around here. Uh, I started this series about two years ago. We're calling it um, Great Chapters. And so what we do is we uh, do something in the New Testament. I just finished up 2 Corinthians 5. And then we go to the Old Testament. And then we do something there. And then we go back to the New Testament. We're trying to give you exposure to everything that is found in this book. So you follow as I read. I'm reading from um, Deuteronomy chapter 4, the first 14 verses of that chapter. They read like this. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you, may, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is... The Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone, and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Now guys, most church-going folk uh, have heard of the very famous sermon that Jesus preached uh, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's where it's founded for us. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Well, of course, Dr. Young, I've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. Do you think I'm some kind of uh, illiterate? No, I I don't intend to insult. What I'm trying to suggest is that there is the second most important man in the Bible. It's a guy by the name of Moses. You might quibble with my uh, my ranking, uh, but I suggest that he's the second most important because through him, God gave us the law. But you might suggest David or Joseph or Paul or whatever. Fine. But my point is not really who comes in second. My point is to say simply this, that Moses also had a sermon. It was a sermon that wasn't on a mount. Um, It wasn't three chapters either. And nor is it very famous. But um, we're going to look at it. We're not going to look at all of it. In fact, um, the sermon starts in chapter 1, verse 6, and goes on pretty much to the end of the book. It's it's pretty much 25 chapters of a sermon. We're, of course, not going to look at the whole 25 chapters. We're just going to look at chapters 4, 5, and 6, and this is going to take about seven sermons or so. Now guys, two, two things that, that we, uh, I want to mention just introductorily. Um, first, this, as I said, is a sermon. It comes towards the end of Moses' life. He sees his ministry as the end of it approaching. He's just been told in chapter three, verse 26, you are not going into the promised land. And God says to him in verse 26, I don't want to hear about it anymore. That's enough. Don't mention to me again. So he sees the end of his ministry coming along. So he gathers the people of Israel and preaches a sermon. It's either a series of sermons or it's one very long sermon that lasts about 25 chapters. But it's, um, it's a sermon series that you have that comprises the, the book of um, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Here's a man uh, who is coming to the end of his ministry. He loves his flock. He's led them for 40 years. And he wants to leave behind information that will help them. What is it that I could do, says Moses, that would benefit and prosper the people that I care about, but whom I'm about to leave? So he preaches this sermon. Um, For 25 chapters, he preaches it. And we're gonna look at only three of those chapters. But understand, that's what's going on here. A pastor speaking to people that he loves at the end of his ministry, leaving behind his last will and testament. Here's the second thing that you've gotta get going into this thing. This is a, a fact that's gotta be established firmly in your mind. The audience to whom Moses is speaking is a redeemed people. Now, not all of them. Uh, Paul told us that in Romans 9 when he said not all of ethnic Israel is a part of spiritual Israel. Not all of Israel is Israel, he says. But Moses is not privy to who is and who isn't. So he speaks to them as a group. <clears throat> He's speaking to them <clears throat> as one group of redeemed people. Um, And that's what I want to do. I want to use this sermon of Moses's that he got from God and I want to speak to this audience like Moses spoke to his audience. Gang, Moses's audience had been set free from a cruel bondage in Egypt, you know that. You know, Pharaoh and all that business and the end of the whips and all. We too, different audience, but we too have been set free from a cruel bondage, but not Egypt. It's a cruel bondage to sin. And not only that, gang, if you've got your Bibles open, um, let me point this out. Back in chapter one, verse six, just, just really quickly, the Lord our God, that's verse six, Verse 10, uh, the Lord your God, Um, then verse 20, uh, come to the hill country, which the Lord our God is giving us. Uh, Verse 25, uh, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Do you see what I'm I'm drawing your attention to? These um, possessive pronouns. Moses is speaking to his audience, And by the way, you see that all through chapter four and through the rest of the, uh, the sermon, Um, by those possessive pronouns you see that in the mind of Moses he looks at his audience as if they're a bunch of redeemed people. Um, So to a people who already have a relationship with this God at least outwardly Moses speaks like I am. A pastor speaking to a group of people that he loves. And that audience is a redeemed people. This is a sermon preached by Moses to God's people, like mine is gonna be, hopefully. Gang, you you gotta settle that now. This is a sermon series to God's people instructing them, giving them advice, counsel as to how this redeemed life is to be lived and the gospel is woven all through it. Okay, Dr. Young, blah, 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 blah. Get up, could you get, move on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a crucial point. It's crucial because of this. What we're about to see in this sermon, as it gets cranked up, is a lot of talk about rules and statutes, commandments. And if you miss the kind of audience, then you miss the intent of bringing up those rules. Moses is presenting these rules and these statutes not to say to his audience, Hey, y'all, if you will just go by and, and, and obey these rules and, and statutes, then you can become God's people. No, they're already in a relationship with this God. A. a. Hodge, one of my heroes theologically, says this We are pardoned so that we may be good never made good in order that we might be pardoned. Gang, all this discussion that we're going to see here about rules and statutes and commandments and the Ten Commandments, that's being spoken to a group of people who are already in a relationship with God. So, to God's people are given rules and statutes. Did you see it? Let me just point it out real quick. Verse 1. Uh, listen to the statutes and the rules. Verse 2. Uh, you keep the commandments. Verse 5. Uh, there is um, uh, the, the statutes and rules. Verse 6. Uh, in the sight of the people, when, all these statutes. Verse 8. The statutes and rules, um, verse 13, he declared it before him, the Ten Commandments. Verse 14, the statutes and the rules. Moses is preaching to a people already in a relationship with God. He's trying to leave behind instructions that he thinks will help them and what is at the core of his message. Statutes and rules. Guys, the life of grace comes with rules, which apparently is quite a surprise to many today. These statutes and rules don't save me. I'm already a saved man. But they give me directions as to how I might bring pleasure to the God who has just snatched me out of my own cruel bondage to sin. So as a believer, I have a heightened sense of my duty to obey. Folks, do you see that not so subtle distinction? These rules are not given to pagans. As if to say to the pagan world, hey, you guys, if you'll just do these things like I tell you, then you can become God's people. This is unintended for pagans. It's directed at us. God's people, gang, um, these statutes and rules, they don't save anybody. They never did they never saved a jew in the book of exodus they've never they were never intended to save anybody they were simply given as instructions to already redeemed people as to how they might live with a sense of sanity to their lives gang did you notice that in verse 1 i love i love a lot about this passage but Look at it, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live. You, you want to have a life that has some sanity to it? Well, then, you need to follow these statutes and these rules. And, and look at this part, guys. This is, this is delightful. It's in verse 6. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Hey, hey, anybody else out there desirous of having a little bit more wisdom? I mean, do you get up in the morning like I do and say, oh my goodness, Lord, we've got to face this at the church, we've got to face this in our family, we've got to face this in our marriage, we've got to face this in our. Would you give me some wisdom for it? Do you see what he says? Here will be your wisdom and understanding that you find those rules and obey them. And that will be your wisdom. Which implies, I think, that if I don't obey them, I'm stupid. guys do you notice how he points out that disobedience can be very costly and very stupid did you see how he did it he mentioned Baal peor it's in verse three you know what Baal Peor was, don't you? Oh, yeah. That, that was a nasty scene in the history of Israel. This in Numbers chapter 25. It's when the daughters of Moab tried to seduce the sons of Israel and were very successful in doing so. And then Phineas takes his spear, goes into that tent. You remember that? The zeal of Phineas. And so what Moses does in his sermon it is as he mentions, or he gives an illustration I found disobedience can be so costly and stupid. That was a well-known, widely known event in the history of Israel where the rules and the statutes were disregarded. And thus people began to act like brute beasts because we didn't obey those rules and the statutes. Oh boy, it was costly, all right. We lost 24,000 people in one day. He tucks that little BLP or in there, ladies and gentlemen, just to remind his audience. Do you remember that time that you didn't obey? And the disaster that that brought? Do you remember that? Yeah, we do, don't we? So the, um, the wisdom, I mean, the, the obedience to the statutes and the rules, oh, the peoples of the earth are going to look at you and say, Whew. are you one wise people, folks? Even the pagans see it. They see how comely and how valuable it is to have a God who, who provides rules and instructions. It's a kindness of this God to give us those things. Wow. Are you people lucky? I mean, you got a God who told you what what is right and wrong. Not our gods. They just leave us in the dark. God didn't leave us in the dark. No, no. He told us how to live. Guys, for regenerate people, there is nothing more precious to them than God's law because in that law we see him speaking to us, directing us. It's a way to, get, to gain access into the mind of God. And even the pagans recognize. Read on verse six. Um, they will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. Why do they make that observation? Because those people are in possession of statutes and laws. Because I will have to admit that twenty first century pagans don't think the statutes and the rules are wisdom. They um, they don't like the statutes and the rules. In fact, they they think that the statutes and the rules are very rigid and restrictive and and joy-killing. Gang, um, um, the name of John Piper is revered around here. I I think he's the the brightest theological pastor in the world today. I've always thought that R.C. was the brightest theologian, but... Piper is a theologian as well as a pastor, and that's pretty impressive to me. Um, John Piper and his wife, Noel, have four kids. They might have more than four, but they have at least four kids, I think. And one of their sons is a son by the name of Abraham. I think he's in his 40s now. But Abraham has always been a real challenge for the Pipers. In fact, um, in his late teenage years, Abraham was excommunicated from his father's church. Uh, the process of discipline taken, and he was excommunicated. He was out for a couple of four or five years, whatever, and then he came back to everyone's celebration, and then he left again. And he's now in that present in that state of being outside of the household of faith. And just recently, he's become quite a celebrity. He's begun to post videos on TikTok, and, um, and, and just since November, this past November, five months ago, and uh, it, it, it was said that he has posted over 300 videos on TikTok since November. That's more than one a day. And he's in these videos telling people why he is denouncing what he calls evangelical Christianity, why he thinks what you're a part of is mm, bad. Just recently, I think in the last couple of weeks, there was an article in the New York Times discussing Abraham, uh, Abraham Piper. And um, he is explaining why he's left Christianity in this article. And in that article, there's a lot... That is amazing in the article, amazingly bad. But one of the things that he said that I'm going I'm to quote. This is only two sentences, and this is in the article, the New York Times. You can find it yourself. I'm quoting Abraham Piper. He says, "At first, I pretended that my reasoning was high my reasoning for leaving Christianity. My reasoning was high minded and philosophical, <clears throat> but really." I just wanted to drink gallons of cheap sangria and sleep around. You see, that evangelical Christianity, oh, no, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. Way too rigid. Way, way, way too restrictive. What I want, uh, it's not that I just want freedom. No, 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 no. I want autonomy. I don't want to have anybody's rules, anybody's statutes, anybody's commandments. I don't want any of it. No laws for me. And you know what? I like that. And I, and I think I'm going to join up. I'm going to go to that side. Because I don't want any more laws and any more restrictions and commandments. And I'm starting right away. Tomorrow morning. And then I'm going to start with my diet from now on the only breakfast i'm ever going to eat is a gibson's apple fritter i may eat two of those things they are really tasty oh boy and i'm going to wash it down with a little chocolate milk and then for lunch i'm going to have a popeye's fried chicken sandwich with all that mayonnaise oh boy they're really good you have one they're really good with fries and a Dr. Pepper. And, and then at night, I'm going to get my wife and we're going to go to Five Guys. And I don't really care for their hamburgers that much, but those French fries, are they not really good? You know, they come a bunch of them in that sack. The sack is all greasy and boy, but are they good. Just love those French fries. And then for my, for my evening snack, I'm going to have another apple fritter from Gibson's. <clears throat> Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen, what dietician in his right mind that said he cared for me would tell me to eat like that? If you're a dietician and you tell me to eat like that, you must hate me. I got one other thing I want to do too. Well, actually, a couple. <clears throat> one other thing. Um, I, I'm 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 going to be a concert pianist. You know, I've always wanted to be a concert pianist. You know, I love those those scenes where that beautiful grand piano is in the center of the stage, and they put the candelabra on the little thing, Meduji, and and, um, and then the guy comes out with his tucks and tails, and he you know flips up those little tails, and he sits down on the bench, and he begins to play. I, I, that's me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm starting uh, you know tomorrow, but I'm not going to practice and all those scales that you're supposed to do. Don't, don't, add, don't tell me about those scales. I'm not gonna do those scales, no. Because I don't want any laws, any limitations, any statutes. Oh, and yeah, I want a good marriage. I, I, I want to have a happy marriage. But nobody's going to tell me who I can and cannot sleep with. There's going to be no restrictions. Do I need to go on? Ladies and gentlemen, I say to you that the only life that is sane, the only life that works, is the wor- is the life that is governed by laws and statutes And by the way where do those laws and statutes come from My church god forbid No no ladies and gentlemen do you see the nature of the text what is Moses doing He's preaching, what is he preaching? He's just rehearsing. He's rehearsing laws that he got from God and he's saying to the people that he loves, this is how you can make some sense out of life. When you go into that promised land, do this and life will work. Where do I get those laws? I get them from the Word from God. And did you notice in there? I think it's verse 2. Don't add to those things. And don't subtract. Don't add like Rome has done and put church tradition right up there with the scriptures. Don't add. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? One of the the mistakes that I think evangelical Christianity has made is that we did add. We found things to prohibit that the Bible doesn't prohibit. Shame on us. Don't add, don't subtract. Just obey. The laws and the statutes that I give unto you today. You know what that is, ladies and gentlemen? That is a statement of sola scriptura about the authority and sufficiency of scripture. You don't need to go anyplace else. Just keep the laws that you find outlined for you. In the laws and the statutes of God. And by your so doing, it makes you wise. And life works. You ignore those, and you're going to have a bail peor on your hands. And then two quick things, and I'll quit. Did you notice... Down at the bottom, it, it, well, at the bottom of my Bible, but verse 9, it talks about, take care of your soul. Take care of your soul. Don't, don't neglect your soul. You see that? Gang, do you know how many times the Bible talks about that? All through the book of Proverbs, book of Hebrews, Um, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If you do not pay attention to the soul, your soul, and by the way, do you notice what it says, lest you forget? Could that possibly happen among us? Could we possibly forget the laws and the statutes that are granted us by a good and faithful God? Well, tell me, what's your experience? You know, my buddy Steve Brown, he would say, he said it frequently, he would say, um, God doesn't say much, but what he does say, he says it frequently. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard me talk about this before. And you know why you've heard me talk about it before? Because it's so frequently mentioned in the scriptures. The care of one's soul Which if not done, we forget. And then, last thing. Notice in verse 10. You remember when you were at Mount Horeb? When that mountain was flaming up into the heavens and I was giving you the statutes and the laws and look at it. So that you might fear me. That's something else I say an awful lot. And I say, an, I say it an awful lot because the Bible does. Gang, remember back in the fall, when I was doing that Proverbs 3 thing. And in verse 7, it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes, rather, fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Okay, okay, I won't say it anymore. I won't trouble you with the fear of the Lord anymore. Here's what I'll do. I'll let Paul do it. Because you remember in in Romans chapter three, when he's giving you that great description of a group of people, and he closes it in verse 18, and he says, the last sentence in verse 18 says, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. Gang, do you know who he's describing in that passage? Pagans, he's saying that one of the characteristics of people who are not a part of the household of faith is that they have no fear of God before their eyes. And then, I'm gonna let Jesus tell you. Those of you who think that the fear of God is some kind of Old Testament idea, well, Jesus is pretty New Testament-y. And he says this. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, says Jesus, fear him. Gang, a biblical right fear of God shows up in a life of obedience. Obedience. The unbiblical, wrong kind of fear of God shows up as dread. And I am here to tell you that dread of God is something that a Christian need never taste. Why? Why? Because Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God through his blood. that warfare that used to exist between god and me that enmity for the christian that's over peace with god has been established by christ and now as people who have been swept into the family of god by sovereign grace that grace just keeps on coming he saved me at great expense to his son and then he told me how as a redeemed son of God I was to live and I was to live in a way that would give him pleasure and be good for me as well. How extraordinarily kind of God to give us His statutes and rules. Or you could dismiss all this as restrictive and rigid, and you could go out and buy yourself gallons of sangria cheap sangria and you could post your videos on TikTok and become a celebrity as 900,000 followers watch as your life unravels and you can have your own personal Baal Peor where you can come to Christ have your sin forgiven and then become very attentive to all of his instructions for life Father, would you remind us that you didn't save us and then desert us, that you saved us and then gave us instructions as to how life might be properly lived in a way that would work, in a way that would have a measure of sanity associated with it. So, Father, would you impress upon your people by the strength and power and might of the Holy Spirit, that these instructions given by moses to his audience are instructions that are given to this audience as well use these admonitions from your word to give your people another reason to take care of their souls and to guard all that they choose and father if you have brought people who have not yet met our savior here this morning would you show them the great beauty of Christ and him crucified? Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Guys, um, if you've got prayer...